Growth doesn't happen within your comfort zone. It happens when you take a leap. Each episode, we highlight creators, innovators, people just like you who have stepped outside their comfort zone. Welcome to Leap, stories that inspire, a quantum fiber podcast. Hello, this is Diani Galligan, and you are listening to Leap, a quantum fiber podcast. Our guest today is Scott Queen, who's going to tell us about some of the brave leaps he's made in his life and how that's turned out for him. Welcome, Scott. Welcome to Leap. Yeah, thank you for the, the invite and getting let me have a chance to tell some of what's going on here. I can't wait to hear your story. I know our listeners can't wait to hear your story. And where you are right now is working in a company that you created named Pixis AI. And I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing with artificial intelligence now. And then we're going to backtrack a little bit and talk about how you got here. Okay, that's, that sounds cool. Um, Pixis AI is an artificial intelligence-based application that monitors live video from ski area or ski resorts where people are loading and unloading ski lifts, and it watches for developing problems. So it can either slow the lift down or stop it or alert the attendants that they need to do so and hopefully help guests have a better experience and hopefully reduce problems and injuries with people loading and unloading lifts. Um, as a aside, Pixis is a constellation in the southern sky that represents a mariner's compass. So we picked that name because it helps provide direction. That is a great reason to pick a name. What a, I love it when company names actually have meanings and symbolism behind them. And that is a wonderful set of symbolism when you're trying to keep people safer um, in a, at a time when it can be pretty risky for anybody who's actually tried to get on and off yeah. of a chairlift. <laughs> that is a moment of truth for many people. <laughs> yeah. And is are you actively working with ski areas right now to test out and utilize this technology? Yeah, we are. We have some resorts in Colorado, some resorts elsewhere across the, the country that we're working with to uh, gather video and to run our system as a as a first year test. This coming season, we plan to be commercial. Congratulations, that's a big step, yeah. and it means that your pilots and testing must be going well. They are. They're going quite well, and um, even uh, a little bit ahead of what we maybe anticipated. So, it's it's and then the industry is super excited about this because it meets a need that they've thus far been unable to reliably address, at least from a technological standpoint. Well, and you are, have been able to take a, a technology from a vision to a reality to a pilot that is actually proving a return on investment, which not all pilots do, as you know, right. and to the point that you are going to be able to take this commercial. So clearly your pilots ha have given you the information that you need to prove to people that this is a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Is that the case? That is definitely the case. When we ran our beta this last spring at a resort and I first turned it on, I was nervous, of course, like, oh my gosh, is this really going to do what I know it can do? And, um, and sure enough, man, it worked and I got goosebumps. I was just like, holy cow, did you see that? It was very, very rewarding and, and exciting. A dream realized. Yeah. 
Well, now I'm going to rewind you a little bit because this artificial intelligence space and frankly, software development isn't where you started. You started someplace very different. Can you tell the listeners really where your career path started? Yeah. Yeah. Um, growing up and in high school and such, I was really like a laborer. I was a welder. I did all kinds of land surveying and all kinds of stuff that was not anywhere near computer. And um, I liked being outdoors and working on the kind of structural things. So I became a civil engineer. I got a, a bachelor's and master's degree in civil engineering and spent at 15 years as a professional civil engineer. Which I assume you hoped would allow you to be outdoors a little bit, but also using your brain. Maybe not having to dig quite as many ditches. That would be good yeah. to have to dig quite as many ditches. <laughs> Definitely the, the idea was I would be able to work outside. And, and I, at that point, I thought that how things were built and how things withstood load and such was like the epitome of coolness. <laughs> but um, it soon it soon became just that. I mean, there isn't a lot of creativity, honestly, in civil engineering, and I soon began to stagnate there. As part of my civil engineering curriculum, I'd had a computer programming course, and I found myself doing more and more of the computer-related stuff at the civil engineering office because others were not as interested, and I enjoyed it. And so you would just step up and see those opportunities and say, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. Let me do the computer stuff. Let me mess with that. Yeah, exactly. And in one case, we were designing a system to help people recommend a certain erosion control system. And no one in the office wanted to do it. So I volunteered and, and said, I don't know how to do this, but I'll, let's see what we can, turn, what we can figure out. And um, it was really fun. Um, I... I decided I really liked software and started pursuing software development jobs and got shut down so hard uh, because I was not a software engineer yet and I was still a civil engineer. And, <laughs> and this will come in, come back to our conversation later about some of the elements that, need, that are needed when you take a leap of faith and, and um, move, decide you're going to move forward on a new path. So. Well, it's, it's interesting, though, because um, there's already an element I can see tying together where a lot of what you're working on now is ensuring the safety of the people involved as well as the structures involved. And when you think back to civil engineering, a lot of people started in a civil engineering path because you want to build great things that are safe and sound and will stand the test of time. And there's a lot of safety element and protection in there. Um, I, I can see though people saying you want to dabble in software development in a field that has to do with bridges not falling down or mudslides not happening i could see maybe that there's a little bit of reluctance for people to let somebody in and just learn on the fly yeah that is very that's very true yeah and that's um one of the things i learned in this whole leapy thing is um you kind of have to prepare yourself for the landing because when you do land wherever you're trying to get to, then you have to be able to be productive because you're right. People are not open to teaching you once you get there. So clearly there must have been a time where 
you figured out that if you were going to do this software thing for real, you would have to get there a different way. So how did you finally get yourself there? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I talked with a friend of mine who was doing software development. He gave me two pointers, how to do A and B, that it was a foundation of almost everything at that time in the web world, which is take data and put it in a database and pull it out and display it on a web page. Um, which is I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, actually, one of the things I've learned is that just those it's kind of rudimentary um, processes and skills, which are common in tutorials and such, are not anywhere close to what you need to do to, to get the skills to take the leap. Um, I've found, and I've done this time and again, is that you have to figure out, conceptualize a real use for something that you want to do. It doesn't have to be commercially viable, but it has to be a thing that you want to try to build that isn't just straightforward. In other words, you got to take on a task and then when you start into it, you're going to find out you don't know how to do half of it and half of what you thought you wanted to do doesn't work. So what are you going to do instead? And I think that's how you really learn and really get to where you can do this. So my first thing like that is I talked to a friend of mine who worked in networking and he had a crew of about 15 people that were out doing different things. And his the way he scheduled them, each one would send him an individual spreadsheet showing him their schedule. He would consolidate it manually into a common spreadsheet. And I said, well, let me build you an app where they can all enter their stuff and it goes into one place for you. And, you know, I had no clue how to do that. No, like, how do you host <laughs> something like that? What kind of database? I mean, there's a, a myriad of unknowns and you're not going to find any of those answers in tutorials. So you just, you, and you got to determine or decide that you're going to, you're going to dig in and follow every rabbit hole and not get discouraged and you come out learning a heck of a lot. And were you doing, you were still doing your civil engineering job as you were starting to take on these projects? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You strike me, by the way, as you talk about this, you strike me as somebody who has mastered the art of learning as much from failure and what you don't know as executing on what you do know. It just seems to me you have a gift for taking the things you don't know and the times you scrape your knee and turning that into something great. <laughs> Maybe. I hope it's a gift. I mean, I, I do experience a lot of that, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Um, and as it turns out, that, that um, schedule replacer thing, we didn't ever actually implement it, but it gave me the the experience, the knowledge, and a little thing on my resume that allowed me to get my first true software development job. You know, I went in and and granted, I had to tell them it it didn't turn into a viable product, but here's how I approached it, and that helped me to be able to speak to problems that they would face and how I addressed them, and it was enough for them to take a risk and you know, give me a shot. So you quit your civil engineering job, 
you leapt into your first software development job with just the scrappy experience you'd gotten on your own. Yep. Yep. How'd how'd (laughs) that that feel? (laughs) That was so scary. The first day my manager came to me and he said, here's this tool for getting into such and such system. And I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what he's talking about. But, you know, I just dug in and like learned it. But so it was really cool from the standpoint. It's like, wow, I did it. I really actually took the steps and and ha- learned enough to convince someone that I could do this. And now I better I better be good because <laughs> then you're, you know, you're on the line. Well, the first person I bet you had to convince was you because there was a piece of you that had to say, can I really pay my bills doing this? Do I feel good enough about what I've learned to go start really applying for these jobs and walk away from something I'm really great at? The first person I assume you had to convince was yourself. I, oddly, no. I When any of these things that I've taken on, I've, I've never doubted I could do it. Um, so it was more more about how do I convince the other guys that I can do it. And then once I'm in that deep end, how do I swim enough to stay alive till I become efficient at swimming? Because there were potentially, well, there was one time where I jumped in and that was like a little more than I thought, but I, I managed to fake my way out of it in a sense. Not really fake my way out of it. I, I got some guidance, but I, I, positioned it in a way that it didn't look like I was asking for guidance. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a recipe for success. Dive into something, convince (laughs) the other guy I know how to do it. Go tread water in the deep end until I really learn how to swim. And then I go become an Olympic swimmer. Perfect. That is a recipe for success, Scott. Perfect. So you get your first software development job. You start creating little successes. But I'm betting from what I know about you that that just wasn't enough to keep you satisfied. So where did you go from there? The um the next step was more fear driven. Um, it was a time when so many uh, jobs were being shipped to India back in the whenever, and um, I was in a group where I was working of about seventy people, and at the end of this period of offshoring, there were only five of us left, and I was I could see that most of the people in that group had become like uh, pigeonholed in their in the work that they knew so long before it became critical I decided to learn how to do something completely different so I asked the guy to teach me like give me half an hour primer on building networks and I decided I'm gonna build network and do my own web hosting so that I could learn networking the whole DNS for those nerds out there who know that and um, server support server administration and I started doing that at night and convinced like three people to host their websites with me and that gave me another really broad set of skills that I felt protected me from the you know being subject to offshoring because I could always move around. I had a lot more flexibility than others. So you took something that other people go to college for years to learn and you learned it on your own on the fly. Um, That is very admirable. And I have to say that I appreciate the story because my very first job, this company was back in IT, back in the whenever, as you would say. And I remember calling somebody and saying, 
What is a firewall? People keep talking about firewalls. That sounds terrible. What's a firewall? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That can't be good, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. You, yeah, and you hear those terms and you're like, I can't ask, ask my manager what's a firewall. I got to go learn it. <laughs> so I come to him That's and a act like a no. <laughs> yeah. Isn't a server somebody who brings you food at a restaurant? Yeah, what are you exactly. talking about? So I certainly appreciate that. So you started hosting websites and now you had a whole new skill set to flex. Where'd you go from there? Actually, I just continued kind of stepping up in responsibility and breadth of the work I did. I, I did make a move to where I got a more official, a truly official software development job, um, building some systems for the uh, U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture. And from there, it was several years of just continuing to grow within the space um, in complexity. I always... I always was on the front edge of technology and um, or the technology at least used by the space I was in or the company. Like in several cases, a, a company, the feds being one, wanted to start using this new technology, but no one knew how to do it. Naturally, that's like, I'll do it. You know, I'll learn how to do it. I'll establish the patterns we want to use, figure out how to best do that. And I did that up until probably 2015. Yeah, that was it. So in all these scenarios, though, you were working at other people's companies, learning technology for them. And at some point in time, you were like, yeah, it's time for me to go invent. I mean, you are clearly, I would say, an inventor and an adventurer at heart. And I know that the adventuring isn't just in your professional life. You've had some adventures in your personal life as well. But you must have been yearning to just go try new things. You know, um... I actually, no, nah, that's not quite how it played out. So I was working for a, a global company that had a need to build a, a distributed architecture to support all of their inventory, ordering, uh, supply chain systems. And they were bringing in a new client piece of software that they wanted to use, but they had none of the infrastructure to support it. At that time, I was this, the enterprise architect for the company, and I designed and built this really cool distributed architecture that I really loved. And I felt at that time that I was going to probably retire there and just nurture that um, architecture as a product through its life and, you know, enhance it and meet more and more needs of the company. And they fired me. Quantum Fiber isn't your average internet. This is online meetings while online shopping internet. PJ's still on, so video stays off internet. It's movie night debating and then movie night watching in four different rooms internet. The kind of internet that's fast enough for whatever your family can throw at it. Meet Quantum Fiber, an all-new, all-fiber internet that's built for the world of you. They did not like it. I went too far and they said no you're gone they they told you your baby was ugly and then they fired you that's terrible yeah that's exactly what happened so suddenly i was at a space where it's like oh wow you know what do i do now i had actually been pursuing this idea for about 
15 years. It was um, introduced to me by a friend of mine who is in the alternative energy world. And one thing he told me is that we don't have enough information about how much power the sun is going to produce or how much power the wind is going to produce at a given time. So consequently, we have to keep the coal-fired power plants at almost 100% anyway. So we're really not getting a lot of efficiency. So he said, if you could figure out a way to make something work better there, it would be huge. So I started toying with this idea, like I say, 15 or so years ago of using, I didn't even know the term computer vision. It didn't, it did exist in, in academic realms, but not in real use, but of using artificial intelligence, computer vision to watch clouds at a solar plant. And based on what it sees in the clouds, it could predict the amount of power the solar plant would produce. And therefore, tell the coal-fired plant, oh, you don't have to produce as much or you need to produce more. And so for those 15 years, I was looking for, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I met with some professors at universities who were doing some research and turns out to be computer vision. And, and when I was fired by this company and suddenly had some time, it's like, all right, I'm going to pursue this now. I'm going to, I'm going to find out how the heck you do this, see if it's viable, do this alternative energy thing. And if not, I'm going to get some great skills because that's going to be, you know, in huge demand in the coming years in software. And so I'm going to teach myself this AI stuff. Right from the get-go, I was interested in, in the vision because that had been my pursuit for all those years, thinking of watching the clouds. You were forecasting nature. Many people have tried to forecast nature, and you were yeah. going to use computer vision to do it at the University of Scott Queen. I've decided you're, you're your own university. You are the University okay, of Scott yeah. Queen. So did it work? Can you forecast the cloud? No, I never I never got to that point. In my um, learnings, I started just learning the basics of what is computer vision. I mean, there were so many things to learn to get into AI. Um, the Just how artificial intelligence works, how it works with vision, with like, quote-unquote vision with imagery then how to write all the supporting software to do all the linear algebra and the data manipulation so it was two years probably where I was working on this stuff trying to learn just how to do the basics and then I think one of the key elements was I wanted to, I had three cats at the time and I wanted to see who was doing what around the house. And I thought, you know what I could do is I could write this little AI app, you know, using computer vision, and I could teach it to recognize which cat walked into this room and which cat did whatever. So I hijacked, I stole a, well, not stole, I borrowed a home surveillance camera from a friend and hacked into it to learn how to access the video. And then I looked at a couple things online and found out how to process video. And then it was quite a learning process, just all the supporting development, even around the understanding before I could do anything real. But in that process, I started seeing the utility of computer vision in um, specific instances, rather than for a kind of broader system of the sky and driving a, a solar power plant, but more one like, oh, I could recognize issues developing. I could see when your cats are about to scratch up the cushions on your couch. I think this is very important. <laughs> yeah, and sound an alarm like, hey, stop that. You know, 
and build those triggers. You know, as a pet owner, I can say that when you get done with this whole saving people at the ski resorts, I would very much love a program that can tell when the puppy's about to chew up my stair railings yeah. or destroy the couch. I, I think there's a real market need for that, Scott. Okay, <laughs> that, that may be my next go around. Yeah, because <laughs> that'd be more fun subject matter than some of the skiers we see. <laughs> to play with the pets. <laughs> No, it is clearly time to take the puppy out right now. now <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, I mean, this is interesting. You spend two years on your own mastering this AI or computer vision. Tell me how that leads to where you are today. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I, I started recognizing more and more utility, recognizing op- option or opportunities to employ computer vision. And I grew up ski racing and... I spent a lot of time in the ski area, so every time I'm at the ski area, I was thinking, man, there's something here. There has to be something here. There's moving equipment, and you know, you see people having troubles, and it's all visual, so there's something here. And finally, one day, we're on a chairlift, and there's a family on the chair in front of us, and one of whom was a little girl, and at the top of the lift, she didn't get off. And the lift attendant didn't notice it. And so she started to go around the bull wheel at the top of the lift. And she ended up jumping off because the lift guy never saw it. It was only like, fortunately, it was only like three feet. She wasn't hurt. But I that was my catalyst. It's like, I have to do this, you know. Even if the lifties are on the ball 99% of the time, if if I can do something about that 1%, and it's not to say that they're not paying attention intentionally or anything. They might be helping some other guest, right, that fell and they're clearing off the area. And so I realized then I have to take action and and pursue this, see what I can figure out. That is very impressive because I will say that for the vast majority of humanity in that situation, they do two things. They get irritated. They're already irritated at the lift line they had to stand in. They're irritated the operator wasn't paying attention and they're worried for the little girl. That's as far as most people would go. You, on the other hand, look at that whole situation and see a way to systematically change it to prevent those kinds of accidents in the future. And that's very impressive that that's where your brain went rather than just being sad about how the moment turned out. Hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. If nobody's told you you're impressive so far today, there, there's your moment that that's, that's incredibly <laughs> impressive. So you go down to the ski lodge, you pay $75 for lunch, and then you figure out how you're going to take this to be a real business, a real going concern. How did you, how did you take that leap? Yeah, I decided, okay, so went back home and then I said, all right, I need to... I need to go up and and film some like take some video of people loading and unloading the ski lift and see if I can build a model that will recognize problem situations. So I went up and I stood there with my iPhone capturing video for for several hours and the lift attendants kind of got on my case time or two like what are you doing get out of the way and and i i just took that home and i started dissecting it and 
I mean, again, it's one of those cases where, holy crap, you don't know what you don't know, right? You know, it's like, what kind of video format is this? What do you mean video format? I don't know. What's a video format? It's an iPhone. It's an iPhone video format. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. But um, what I did is just start incrementally, you know, building the model, the AI model, trying to decide how, how do I feed video into it in a way that makes sense. I ended up going through several iterations of model architecture and video processing. And again, this was um, probably another nine months w worth of work before I got a, a proof of concept that was actually showing positive results. And then, oddly enough, I had to figure out how to present that to someone to interest potentially investors or partners or whatever. And that was a whole nother learning thing because a lot of artificial intelligence and such is all numbers and such behind the scenes. And now you have to find a way to visualize that so people get it. And that took me another probably three or four months to write that stuff to visualize it. Not to mention that there's a lot of people ask going to those same pools of investors, asking them to believe in an idea, asking them yeah. to believe in a concept. And you you have to win that, that mental match that says mine's the most important for the seed funding and for the investment. Right. Did you find investors were intrigued, open to the idea? You know, we never never pursued investors until now we're talking to some but i i had a strong contact that had industry contacts and i showed him what i had built and he felt like it had great promise so he ended up he ended up quitting his job and we formed a partnership and he started working with me on this so we self-funded. We have another partner too. Um, so we've all been self-funded thus far. We're at the point where we are needing to scale and scale nationally and internationally. So we're, we are talking to investors right now so that we can ramp that up. But in the process too, I didn't mention it. I don't know. Early on, after I proved that the concept could work, I filed for a patent and ended up getting several patents. So we have a bunch of IP now to back it, which is really very good move. I'd recommend anyone, if they think they're coming up with something for real, to jump on the patent train right away if they can, because you don't want other people with bigger, you know, we were small. We didn't have huge, huge, you know, groups of people and money that we could have poured into this, like another, major company could have so so in addition to learning software development and ai and how to get around the ski lift operators who didn't want you filming them and how to present to potential people who could try all this and investors you also learned the patent process yeah so, which is not always the easiest process to learn either so no. you got to learn the patent process and i want to go back to something you said which is that you were self-funding and when you talk about leaps of faith putting your own money into something and your own time and potentially not having a different job to help make that money is one of the biggest leaps of faith of all. That's, that's your ability to pay your rent or your mortgage. Yeah. Um, I will admit that I wasn't, it wasn't as dire for me because, uh, 
sadly, my father had passed away and I got enough uh, inheritance that I could cover that self-funding bit and not feel pressured. I really, really, really respect the entrepreneurs who take that on a, a, a new gig when they do have to cash flow themselves because that would, that would probably scare me off. That's, but what that's a what a parting word. what a gift from your father. I mean, that's way to yeah. that that is a very sad circumstance, but it's created something beautiful for you. Yeah, it it, it set it you free to go do this. And it's um another sort of I think through as I've done so many of the different things like w- w- this a lot of a lot of the product that we've put together isn't software only and or the AI model. It's building a control panel with electronics and wiring and all kinds of stuff and he taught me so much stuff how to do everything and we go up to the resorts and mount cameras and mount boxes and run cable and he taught me all that stuff so i i think about his contribution to this project in many ways many times it's not just that final financial gift but also all the skills he taught me growing up i really do appreciate that a lot He's the gift that helped it happen in a lot of different ways. Yeah. That's yeah. really special. That is really special, Scott. Thank you for sharing that. Gives me goosebumps a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now, if you're going to go scale this thing, you have to get standardized. There have to be standard cameras and standard ways that things network and standard software. Wow, for something that began as a scrappy idea, now you're going to standardize and scale. That kind of feels scary as well if it were me in your shoes. You know, um, one of the things I have learned over the years and doing all the different things I've done, particularly when I've had to support the stuff that I've written and done, you know, application support is um, the importance of, of maintainability and support. And um, I forget the first term you used before scaling. Um, standardization. Standardization, So. Right. So I built things from the get-go with all that in place, um, which is really helpful right now. Now we're we're at the, you know, our big challenge is scaling, but fortunately I've built everything to where, from a software standpoint and a um, installation standpoint, it is scalable. Now it's just people scaling to to meet the just the physical load or the man manpower load. Yeah. Anybody who's listening to this, who's ever done software pilot certainly knows the value of what you just said. I can't, I can't even list the number of times you go build the pilot and you know, you're duct tape and bailing wire things together in terms of software or processes, and you know, you'll just fix it later. But when it works, it means that you can't scale very quickly because you got to go rebuild it all. So it's very impressive that you built the standardization in to start with. So now you can just go fly. You got to get training teams and implementation teams and salespeople and investors. But the software isn't your problem. And that's very impressive. That's Yeah, yeah. It's it does help us to be able to focus where we need to focus now for sure. Just growth. Growth. Yeah. Yep. So Scott, you have already given some great tips about how to succeed. And a lot of it is just the confidence of knowing that you can accomplish the tasks that you've tackled. And I still love the visual of you heading into the deep end of the pool and you're just going to keep your head above water until you actually figure out what you're doing (laughs) and you figured out how to do it every time. 
what advice would you give to our listeners as they think about taking some pretty brave leaps like the ones you've taken? Yeah, well, I would say recognize that you're the only one that truly sees the vision that you see and and be prepared to stick to it. You know, have that tenacity to stick to it. People, I had, I had countless people make fun of my ideas about the, my cat-based apps that I was building as all learning test beds. And even, even people who understood, you know, the complexity of what I was doing, they kind of poo-pooed it. So I would say have, have your vision be solid and be ready to just grind it out, you know, um, power through all the failures. As you mentioned, the failures are great ways to learn things. Don't be deterred by the, the statements that something is not commercially viable when you're on a learning project because you're going to build stuff that's not commercially viable. I built a cat food inventory app that I could use with Alexa so it would recommend what food I fed my cat each day, right? No one will ever use that, but it taught me how to work with Alexa and it taught me the back-end systems of AWS and such. So, and finally, yeah, I guess just have that vision and stick it out. Well, that is great advice. And it seems to me that your vision and Pixis AI have a very bright future ahead of them. So I can't wait to watch what happens, especially as a Colorado resident. It sounds like I might get to benefit from this right at the beginning. So thank yeah, you. You very well might. Yeah. Scott, that's wonderful advice. And I think both your vision and the future of Pixis AI looks really bright. And I thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, well, thank you. I really enjoyed getting a chance to chat with you about it. It was a pleasure to get to talk to you. Now, I know I'm not the only one who wants to watch as this unfolds. Is there a way that our listeners can track the progress of your work? Yeah, we have a website, www.pixisai.com, and we have a LinkedIn profile for the business. Um, Diani, is there a way for you to share that information with the, the listeners? Yeah, we'll put all those URLs and all that information in the show notes so they can easily find it. Thank you. Beauty. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And for those of you who are listening, we know that there are many of you who also have incredible stories that involve brave leaps and turning points. If you would like to share those stories with us, we'll tell you how to do that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Scott Queen, and thank you all of our listeners for being here today on Leap, a quantum fiber podcast. Thank you.